Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome back, everybody, to episode 12 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and joined today, I am uh, joined by Ben Carsley, the editor-in-chief of BP Boston. Uh, ben, how's it going, man? It's been a while. Yeah, Jake, thanks Thanks for having me on again. Uh, it's going going better for me than it's going for the Red Sox offense against Miguel Gonzalez right now uh, because you can't predict baseball. Yeah, you know, that's, uh, that's certainly one that I didn't think they'd have any issue with, but, you know, who knows? I, I, I think the uh, Chicago White Sox have to be a little bit more perplexed by all that has befallen them lately. I think they they thought they were contenders for some reason, and then Matt Latos turned into a pumpkin predictably, and James Shields turns out isn't a good pitcher. So, um, yeah, yeah, I guess when you uh, when you when you put it in that context, one off night against Miguel Gonzalez is is not so bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so things for the Red Sox still going pretty well. We're a game back of the um, Baltimore Orioles. Um, I guess the new wrinkle there is that. Um, the Toronto Blue Jays are playing out of their minds as of the last month or so. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion is a huge driver for that, so they're right back in the mix as well. I think we kind of figured it would be a three-team race, maybe even a four-team race uh, in the AL East so far. So, uh, Well, I should say we figured that at the beginning of the season. I just don't think we've, we factored in uh, the Orioles would be part of it, but nonetheless... Yeah. Exactly. I had it as a three-team race, but with the Yankees, not with the Orioles. So. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's going to come down to the wire, and I think large part of it's going to end up uh, being what moves are made by all three of these clubs at the deadline. 
Um, but one thing I wanted to get started uh, talking about was um, the Red Sox and their rotation. Uh, the quest for the fifth starter spot um, continues. Uh, they're back in the saddle again with Clay Buckholtz uh, after using pretty much every imaginable option uh, this side of Justin Haley uh, and maybe even Aaron Wilkerson, who are ranked like 50 and 60-something uh, um, on SoxProspects.com. So a few guys who uh, really shouldn't even be a consideration, um, but really that's where they are right now after Elias uh, really got the hook early uh, in his last outing. So let's talk about that. I mean, is it too quick of a hook for Elias or... I mean, is this really just the best that they have is going back to Buckles at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think I prefer trying with Buckles because at least there's some semblance of upside there. With Elias, there's really not. You know, the best you're going to get out of Elias is uh, maybe a few quality starts strung together, and uh, we've certainly seen what <laughs> what it looks like when he doesn't have his stuff. Uh, you know, with Buckles, at least there is the possibility that something clicks or that he does become that sort of you know high variance middle of the rotation type guy we're used to. So uh, I'm not filled with confidence, but I, I agree with the decision to, to try Buckles again. Yeah, it's just crazy. The options that the Sox have run through, it's been Joe Kelly, Elias, Henry Owens, um, Sean O'Sullivan, just to name a few. And um, it's it seems to be no end in sight here. And I don't know whether or not, well, I have a good idea. I have a good idea that the Red Sox can't expect much from Clay Buckholz here, so they're still left with this monumental void, presumably, uh, in the fifth starter spot um, if Clay Buckholz isn't able to get anything done here. And it's not like when he went to the bullpen, he automatically fixed something, and uh, we saw a noticeable change in him. I mean, he wasn't dominant by any stretch of the imagination there. It just seems like uh, for for uh, for for lack of any better option, this is where we are. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. Uh, you know, I think his last two outings out of the bullpen were a little better, but if, if that's what you're banking on, <laughs> uh, I think I think you're in trouble. Uh, you know, the real problem for me is that it's it's not just the the fifth starter spot at this point. There are real questions about the fourth and fifth starter spot, and I'm I'm still a big believer in Eduardo Rodriguez long term. But uh, you know, I think if if they had a little more organizational depth right now, I think he'd probably be back in in Pawtucket as well. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're really hamstrung by, by Henry Owens and Brian Johnson, both being unable to contribute right now. Obviously, you know, Johnson has, uh, has medical issues, so that's one thing. Henry Owens has just fallen apart at AAA this year. I think he's walking like six per nine or something like that. So, uh, it, you know, you, can't, you couldn't really have seen both of those things coming. I know you don't ever want to overly rely on young pitchers, but you would assume that between the two of them and Kelly and Elias – uh, you know, you'd be able to at least be in better shape than you are right now until the deadline, uh, and it's just sort of all gone awry. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Eduardo, I, I do think um, we expected him to be a little bit better than this. I mean, he's been as, as bad as one could imagine so far. Um, but I didn't totally not expect him to struggle. I, in fact, when he was coming back, I kind of preached to everybody um, – temper your expectations because this is a guy who missed significant time and um, is going to need a while to get his velocity back, find his release point, get things going again. Uh, and it seems from what we've seen out of even good Eduardo last year, um, he's a pitcher that can really have quite a high variance uh, in performance between his starts. So uh, even 100%, he's still a young guy learning his craft. So um, 
I agree with you. That fourth spot is a huge concern. We're really left with just three fifths of of a solid rotation at this point. Yeah, it's uh, thank God for the offense, and thank God the top three have been so good. At least we, at least we don't have to worry about them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, one of the things that people are pointing towards, uh, fans, um, other people around baseball even have been speculating about this, is that the Red Sox bullpen has been a little bit worse as of late as well. We talked about this on the podcast uh, last week with Brian Joyner here, and we cited the fact that there's really been two guys, in, and uh, uh, Craig Kimbrell and uh, uh, the guy from the Giants there, I don't know why his name is escaping me, um, who have been extremely reliable. For yeah, Heath, Heath Embry. Embry, yeah. Um, thank you for that. Um, they, they've been really the, the best bullpen options that we've had by a mile for the last uh, month or so. Um, but my question to you is, you know, with this bullpen being a concern right now, why haven't the Red Sox turned to Elias and Joe Kelly to fill some of these voids in the bullpen? Um, it seems like a lot of people who cover the team – um, whether it's writers for us or other sites, uh, think that Joe Kelly and Elias have stuff that would play up in a bullpen setting. Uh, Matt Collins commented on this in his article about Elias last week as well. Uh, and it seems like, at least with Kelly, I don't want to hear projection. I don't want to hear that like there's, there's any development to be had here. He kind of is what he is at this point. And however he can help the team, seems like they should be gearing him towards that role. And with Elias, I, I kind of think it's the same way. I mean, there's there's nothing set in stone to say that once you move somebody to the pen, you can't move them back. I mean, we saw it with Drew Smiley. That worked out just fine. Why aren't these guys making that transition right now to help the Sox internally? Yeah, I think it's because of what we just talked about, I think, because there aren't reliable options behind them. And, you know, if Buckles continues to struggle or if one of the good pitchers does go down or if Eduardo... Uh, needs a longer time to recover. You know, someone has to be logging those innings. Why can't we transition at least one of them? I I, I don't know. Uh, I've been on the Joe Kelly should be a reliever bandwagon for two years now, um, and, and I get that maybe he won't be a great reliever because you know oftentimes the logic is well you can just only focus on one secondary pitch and your velocity will tick up. You know, velocity's never been the issue with Kelly. He just doesn't always know where the ball is going. So. Maybe he won't be a great reliever, but we know he's a, an actively bad starter. So I am all in favor of, of putting him in the bullpen and, and, and giving it a shot. Um, I don't think the Red Sox bullpen is in as bad a shape as people make it out to be. You know, Tazawa has still been very good. Um, uh, Yuhara has not been as good as I would have hoped this season, and I think it makes the uh, makes the offseason acquisitions of Kimbrell and Smith look particularly smart. Uh, you know, you could have been contented. Knowing you had a great closer in Koji and just riding him out, but uh, they were sort of able to preempt his his decline by by acquiring those two arms, even though Smith didn't work out. Uh, but if the Red Sox are going to add anything else in the bullpen, I'd like to see them add another high leverage arm, and I don't know if Elias Elias or Kelly is going to be that. Yeah, it's it's impossible to know at this point without seeing them in that role. But I think that at least Kelly especially has that sort of capability. Um, with the high velocity stuff and good breaking pitches that work on occasion for smaller stretches of time, I could certainly see him developing into a really elite relief pitcher with the repertoire that he has. I don't know if I can say the same for Elias, but I certainly think that his stuff in spurts would play up a little bit 
and he would be better than somebody like Tommy Lane who's toiling away in that rotation whenever he does get the call. Um, you know, I've I've harped on Tommy Lane probably too much, uh, considering the amount of uh, sway that he's held over any of the the Red Sox problems this year. But I still think that maybe if he was in that situation, that Farrell would be more inclined to go to these guys a little bit more. I've been a little bit frustrated with the usage in general. I don't think that the lefties in the bullpen get used enough. I think that there's a little bit too much uh, specialization going on in the bullpen. I understand wanting to do matchups here and wanting to, you know, match handedness with, with certain guys. But, I mean, when you have a pitcher in there and it's the first time that he's seeing the batter or batters that particular night, I think that handedness aside, the pitcher still has a pretty huge advantage in those points. And I think we should let these guys go a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, it's, Robbie Ross has been really good this year. You know, we, we just sort of mentioned other other arms who have been good, but he's he's had an excellent season, albeit in like twenty innings. So, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. I think I think Farrell could be a little more aggressive, or I guess a little more diverse, because you also don't want to burn out uh, the one or two arms who you do really trust in the bullpen. Yeah, that's certainly been the worry so far. So, I mean, with with all these concerns, I think we have to go back to the well here and start considering options for the Red Sox, and, um, you know, as, as is my usual uh, Monday pursuit, I go to roster resource, and I dig through the pages, and I try and find guys who I think would be a good trade fit for the Red Sox. Um, I think we have to look at starters first and foremost, because like you said, um, the bullpen is not as concerning to me um, as, as well. I think it's it's can be a problem, but largely could be addressed internally. Uh, if they are to make some of those moves that we talked about. Um, but a starter is needed no matter how you look at this thing, especially with Eduardo not performing up to snuff. So I'm going to mention some guys to you, and I want you to tell me whether or not you think that they would be available or unavailable, whether or not the team would trade them or not, um, whether you think they'd be in budget or too pricey from a prospect standpoint. But I also, when you, when you answer that, I want you to think about um, – if you think that the impact of the player would outweigh those amount of prospects. So obviously if we're sending a huge haul for Fernandez, if he comes back and he pitches to a 257 ERA, you know, that, that weighs in on that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the last thing I want you to consider is whether or not they're a good fit for Boston. Okay. All right. So let's go with this. Um, first player I wanted to mention was Sonny Gray. Okay. I don't think it's a good time to trade for Gray because, I, I can't imagine the A's are going to sell low on him, uh, but he's been pretty bad this year. Uh, so I'm worried that he would both be very expensive and then we'd have to help him work out his issues. Uh, and I just think we're at the point where it would be pretty impossible to agree upon an asking price. You know, if he's pitching the way he did last year, you know what it's going to take. It's probably going to take at least two of the Red Sox big big three maybe and, and, and additional pieces. Right now, his, his value is just so in flux that I don't think it's going to happen. You know, the A's aren't inclined to move him right now, and if the Red Sox want someone who can help immediately, uh, you know, he probably isn't the best fit either. And he's got what two years of control left after this season as well? Uh, two or three, yeah. I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah. So th there is a lot of control built in there as well. But I do agree. I mean, I think I would be worried if the Red Sox paid the price that you mentioned um, to get this guy, and then he came over. I would be concerned that his struggles would continue in Fenway Park and. He is a lefty as well, isn't he? 
No, Gray oh, is a, a righty. He's a righty. He's a righty. Um, yeah. Yeah, and That's I'm I'm not worried about him long term, but you know. <laughs> If the Red Sox are in the middle of a pennant run, they want someone who they can slot into the middle or the top, near the top of that rotation and come in, uh, then, you know, maybe a guy who's struggling in Oakland isn't, isn't the right answer just for right now. Yeah, it seems like that type of a move would be better to make in the offseason, where you can have a full offseason of strengthening, getting them used to your program, and try and get some of those kinks out. So I, I tend to agree with you there. I don't think that's a great fit right now for the Red Sox. How about his uh, rotation mate, Rich Hill, who hasn't pitched in a little while due to injury? Um, do you think he'd be available? I, I have to imagine he would be because the A's aren't aren't really competing, and that always sort of felt like the impetus behind signing Hill to this one-year deal would be to to be able to flip him if he was doing well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if he comes back and he's healthy, you know, he's he's not someone who would require one of those top four or five prospects. Uh, he might require, I don't know, something like a Michael Chavez plus, you know, something in that range, maybe a low-end top ten guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's something I would I would look into. If the price was Chavis and Mauricio Dubon for a rental of Rich Hill, would you take the risk on that? Uh, I think it depends what the rest of the rotation looks like. If it's still in as dire straits as it is right now, I would consider it, but that feels a little hefty for a 36-year-old with a pretty spotty track record. Yeah, I do think that is spotty. Um, If he can get his injury concerns... Let's just say that before we trade for him, he has one or two good starts and seems to look healthy. I would be okay uh, banking on the fact that he can come in, solidify at least one of those rotation spots, and that Eduardo can work out some of those kinks. Then I think that the Red Sox are in a much better uh, position going forward, and we do know he can pitch here, so uh, being a good fit for Boston isn't really a concern there. Um, I think I probably lean towards doing that deal. Okay. Um for the next guy, uh, he's had a really interesting year so far, but Matt Shoemaker uh, for the Angels, who's been just about as hot as any pitcher in baseball over the last month or so. Do you think he's going to be available? Uh, I'm not sure. It would make a little sense just because, you know, the Angels need to do to do something to restock that farm system, but they seem, they really don't seem like they're planning at all on rebuilding. So I, I feel like if he's available, it's because a lot of their players are going to become available shortly. If they do keep trying to, you know, hold on and, and, and stay in this, or at least for next year, it wouldn't shock me if he's not. Uh, but even if he is, I don't have any interest. Uh, I don't think he. I don't think this is the real Matt Shoemaker. I think he is. Uh, why go out and trade for him? He's uh, he's to me only a shade better than Joe Kelly. Uh, so unless we were going to get him for next to nothing, I don't. I don't have a lot of interest in him. Ah, uh, man, I I got to take the other side on Shoemaker. He's been okay. somebody that, at least in 2014, in recently when I checked out his stats, when he is going really well, the peripheral stats and the advanced metrics do back up his performance, which we haven't ever seen from Joe Kelly. Like when that slider is working, or that uh, splitter, I should say, is working like it's supposed to, the guy has a true out pitch and another three pitches that work decently off of that pitch. Um, so I do think that in spurts, he can be a tremendously effective pitcher. I do worry that he was able to tumble away from that in 2015, um, and he didn't look particularly good in 2016. So I probably wouldn't make a deal for a guy like this um, 
unless the price was extremely low. Like maybe one of Dubon or Chavis to get a guy like that. Yeah, right. I mean, I would rather have Shoemaker than Joe Kelly, but I think I'd rather have Joe Kelly than whatever it takes to acquire Shoemaker, losing him and getting Shoemaker. That's that's my only point. Are you more of a believer in Rich Hill or Matt Shoemaker, if you had to pick between one of those two guys? Uh, Rich Hill. Uh, Rich Hill. The, okay. the, the more recent track record is promising, you know. In the long run, obviously, you prefer Shoemaker because Hill can fall apart at any stage. Uh, but Shoemaker is not young either. He's he's going to turn 30 in September. Yep, he uh, certainly isn't. But with uh, throwing that splitter, you never know how long these guys are going to go. We've seen Iwakuma succeed with that for a long time uh, and Koji as well. So interesting pitch. Not a lot of guys throw it. Um, the next guy, well, the next four guys are sort of the big hitters here. Um, Chris Sale's a name that I wanted to bring up again. Not because um, I'm totally convinced he's going to be available, um, but because the White Sox have slid a little bit uh, in this in this race now, and I'm not sure they're they're as good as they thought they were. So, firstly, do you think Chris Sale is going to become available towards the trade deadline? I do not. No. Okay. Well, that pretty much seals <laughs> that. Uh, I mean, uh, he's he's one of the 15 or 20 best players in baseball. Even if the White Sox wanted to rebuild, you know, that's who you rebuild around. Uh, okay. he, ju- he just turned 27. Uh, I just don't see it happening. So there's just no way. You don't think that there's a package that could get that done? I mean, I, maybe if you offered all the big four, but <laughs> but I, yeah. uh, sh- short of that, I don't know why the White Sox would be compelled. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I look at that White Sox team, and I'm just not sure where they're going right now um, with the division being how it is and uh, a few teams seeming to be on the rise. Cleveland's looked better as of late. They might, you know, yeah, they might not win this year, but I don't. They're not a team to me that needs to blow it all up and start over. Uh, so with you know a little bit of better luck and one or two savvy additions, I think they could compete next year. Uh, and that that won't be the case if they don't have sale. Who do you think is in the best position over the next five years out of the White Sox, the Indians, and uh, the Tigers? Oh, if you um... had to, if you had to rate those three, because they're all. Sort of similar. They're, they're teams that have a lot of enticing upside, but then yeah. some pretty big warts as well. I, I think the Indians are overrated, but I still think they're probably in the best shape because of the pitching and because they have so many prospects in like double and triple A, like ready to make that leap. Right. Uh, so I would probably go, you know, for the next three years, I'd probably go Cleveland, Chicago, and then Detroit. Uh, I do like some of Detroit's pieces, but they're, they're getting old really fast. You know, I didn't put any Detroit starters on this list. The Ryan or the uh, um, uh, Zimmerman um, edition, he a hundred million dollar pitcher, or Justin Verlander. But do you think either of those guys become available? Uh probably not. You know, it, it, these are hard to answer. I mean, I can't. I can't imagine Zimmerman would be available. They just signed him. Right. He's been phenomenal. So there's, and that's a pretty good contract compared to what some of the other starters signed. So. I have to imagine he would not be available. Um, and Verlander, you know, for what he's owed and the fact that he's 33, he's probably not someone I would I would go after. As, as long as Illich is still alive, they are not going to be sellers. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I think we can safely put that to rest. Um, next three here, uh, Julio Tehran, obviously going to be available. I want to ask you, is the price going to be too much and is the fit bad? See, I really like Tehran, uh, but I, I am worried the price will be too much because I think in the AL he's probably more of a good number three than mm-hmm. he is a real top-of-the-rotation guy. 
Uh, so he's someone I like a lot. I've always been sort of the high man on him, dating back to when he was a prospect. And I don't think he would completely fall apart in Yale, but I do think we'd be looking at someone who's, you know, more of a mid to high three ERA guy. And, you know, we can soak up innings, and that's great. But I think he'd be paying near ace price for not not quite near ace level performance, uh, especially with his home run tendencies in the past. I think those could be exacerbated in Fenway. So I love him as a pitcher, but I, I don't think I don't think the fit is quite right. Sounds a lot like paying a really steep price for Rick Porcello. Yeah, I think that's actually not a bad comp. I, I like to hair on a little more than Porcello, um, but more in that mold, yes. All right, so these last two are true aces. Uh, Zach Greinke, um, do you think that he becomes available on an Arizona team that just seems to be completely lost in that division right now? I mean, it wouldn't shock me, but he'd probably only be available if, if a team were to eat a, a huge portion of that contract. And uh, for the Red Sox, they, they, they already gave that contract out to David Price. I don't see them being able to double down and add another another contract to, of that caliber to the rotation. So uh, I, I don't think that's a particularly good fit either. The Red Sox did go after him pretty hard, though. Dombrowski had him as his 1 or 1A one favorite to... Uh... To, to Price. Obviously, the the goal was Price, but I think if he didn't get Price, Greinke was going to be hard-pressed not to be wearing a Red Sox uniform. Oh, I agree with that, and I like Greinke as a pitcher, but uh, I, even the Red Sox, you know, having having close to, what, 50, 60 million tied up in two arms right. is, uh, is a recipe for disaster. So less to do with Greinke and more to do what that would just mean for the rest of the payroll. Do you think if they did make a deal like that, payroll aside, that if they ate a lot of that money, they wouldn't have to send much back? I don't know. I don't. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, Arizona has the cash, and they just invested in him in a lot for a while. Uh, and they're another team who, yeah, they're scuffling a little bit right now, but they're not so bad that they need to burn it down. Right. You know, they they just really went all in with the Shelby Miller deal and everything. So, you know, maybe if they could get a team to do the reverse and to sort of. You know, get that Dansby Swanson type prospect back. Maybe they would do it, but otherwise, I don't. I don't really see a reason for them to move Cranky. Yep, I kind of agree. I think they're probably going to give that thing two or three years to experiment with before they make any major decisions. And I think they should. Their their core is pretty good. Yeah, it is, and they've missed David Peralta for a huge part of this season as well. Goldie oh, wasn't AJ, himself early yeah, on. AJ, AJ Pollock's been out yep. all, all year. He's probably their third best player. So. Right. They could be back next year with Goldie and Pollock and Peralta and Greinke and a, and a better Shelby Miller, and they could be right back in it. Yeah, I agree. I don't think he's going to be available at all. Uh, the last guy and the one where there's certainly always smoke, and thank you, Pedro Martinez, for adding a little fire to it. Um, Jose Fernandez, uh, always going to be a guy who, um, you know, we talk about coming available, uh, extremely young, uh, supremely talented, um, a guy who's a Boris client and a guy who plays for an organization in Miami that's not afraid to trade anybody. Uh, does Jose Hernandez uh, become available? Um, that would surprise me the least of any of these names, and this is the one player I, I would probably back up the truck for. Well, the truck full of prospects. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, I'm going to give you a theoretical package for Fernandez, and mm -hmm. you tell me whether or not you think this is too steep. Uh, Red Sox send uh, Yoan Moncada, Blake Swihart, and Anderson Espinosa um, to it, and uh, Eddie Rodriguez for uh, Jose Fernandez. Yeah, that's that's tough, and I think I would do it. 
Um, you know, maybe maybe try to talk him down. If you're giving up, so it was uh, it was Moncada, Swihart, Owens, and Erod. Was that the deal? Uh, Moncada, Swihart, Espinoza, Espinoza, and Erod. Yeah, maybe I try to walk back from Erod and give them Owens or something like that, just because you know we need pitchers who can help right now. Right. Uh, but if that's what it took to get it done, I believe I would make that trade. Yes. I think I would too, and I think that there has to be some pretty legitimate discussion taking place between these two teams because there is a lot that the Red Sox have that should really interest Miami at this point. I think Devers would be a really good fit in their system as well. I think Moncada would be a tremendous fit uh, in their system, and being that he's a Cuban player too appeals to their market as well. Um, There's just a lot of things that point towards this making quite a bit of sense. Red Sox have a lot of history with Boris clients, um, certainly can pay the price and uh, can lock this guy up for a long time after that. So um, this is the deal that I think is the pipe dream for every Red Sox fan uh, out there right now and the one that could really push them over the edge. I agree. I would I would love to see them swap out Swihart and include Devers in that package. That would make it even even easier for me. Yeah, that would be huge. I wouldn't hesitate. And uh, as much as I do like Eduardo Rodriguez, I think that there's still going to be a two-year window or so before he becomes an extremely reliable starter. You know, I think that this backed him up just a little bit, what he had this injury this year, and I'm not sure that we really see the best of him for a while. So I wouldn't be um, totally concerned with um, holding on to him if it means getting the likes of Jose Fernandez. And if they were able to do a couple of these deals and then get Rich Hill, um, that might be pretty good to fill out that five. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think if <laughs> I think if July went that way, there'd be a lot of happy people in Boston. Yeah, totally. So let's get to a few of the reliever options as well. Um, there's a, there's a few guys I wanted to mention here. You can just let me know who out of this bunch of guys you think that you would be interested in the Sox trading for. Um, I'll go real quick here. Daniel Hudson, would you be interested in the Sox trading for him? Sure, why not? And what do you think it would take? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can get into what it would individually take for all these relievers because that's such a crapshoot. Yeah, uh, I'd be willing to trade a prospect in the, you know, ten to fifteen range in the Red Sox system for for Hudson. Yeah, he's been pretty good this year. I think that'd be a good fit as well. Uh, Vizcaino from Atlanta. Do you think that that would be a guy you'd be interested in, or price too high? I think the price would probably be. You know, I'd rather trade for a non closer because they don't cost as much, and we don't need we don't need the closer price tag. So. Uh, you know, if the Braves had a reasonable demand for him, sure. But he's also he's also hurt a lot, uh, so I would, probably not my first choice. Control's tough there too. Yeah. Uh, AJ Ramos, another closer, so probably not for him. Uh, Ryan Madsen, he's a closer, but not really a guy who I think is expected to be a closer in the future for it, uh, Oakland. Do you think he he becomes available? I I, I could easily see a Madsen and Hill deal. They're both older older players who the A's aren't going to build around. Uh, you know, I could see them coming over as part of the same package. Yeah, that would be a very useful deal for the Red Sox. Last guy I'll ask you about, uh, K-Rod, sort of falls into the same category. Do you think the Red Sox could make a run at a guy like that, or do you think they really don't have any use for an older player? No, I mean, I think, you know, he's, he's useful because he's an upgrade over somebody in the bullpen, right? I mean, he's better than Tommy Lane. He's probably better than Matt Barnes right now. So he's useful, but uh, I'm sticking to my answer about not, not wanting to pay for the saves. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I would much rather see them spend their chips on a starter. Yes. So let's talk about Christian Vasquez here a little bit. I want to switch gears to catching because we haven't gotten a whole lot of anything from Christian Vasquez offensively uh, this season. And I wanted to ask you, is his defense and game calling still so much better than any other catcher that we could throw in there? Or obviously on this team right now with all the injuries, but even in the long haul, if Blake Swihart were healthy, is he still the guy that you look towards here to be the catcher for the Red Sox with uh, his offensive struggles? I mean, I, I think people who have, have heard me talk about the subject will not be surprised. For me, the answer is no. I, I still prefer Blake Swihart. I have always preferred Blake Swihart. Uh, I think there is a place on this team for Vasquez. I, I think he should he should basically split the difference between being a starting catcher and a backup in terms of time spent behind the plate. You know, I view him as a guy who it would be great to have him catch – 80 or 90 games uh, and have the rest go to Swihart, you know, maybe closer to 80 games uh, because I do think he's a very valuable defender and I do think he's a little better with the bat than we've seen this year. Uh, but, you know, he was never projected to be a good hitter. This was always the problem with him. This is why, despite, you know, these explosive defensive tools, he was never rated highly as a prospect because the man really he can't hit. Uh, so you can cross your fingers and, and hope that he somehow emerges as something like, 250 hitter with just an empty average such as it is, but it's not even where he is right now. Uh, he doesn't have power. He's not walking. And for me, he's not so incredible defensively that, you know, we can really tolerate that. Uh, he has not saved Clay Buckles. He has not saved Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, I don't know how much credit you want to give him for turning around Rick Porcello or for Stephen Wright's campaigns, but I think we're always a little bit too quick to give that much credit to the catcher in this day and age. So, uh, I like some things I've seen from Vasquez. I certainly want him to be a part of the team, but I would be much happier with him as the Robin to Blake Swihart's Batman than I would be uh, asking him to catch 130 games. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. There's no no hiding the fact that I'm always going to be a Blake Swihart at catcher fan because of what he can give you with the bat. Uh, even what Blake Swihart gives you during times where we consider him to be struggling mightily, uh, he gives you quadruple the output that christian vasquez does so um, there's just no contest there for me i think the defense has been really good but i think the the notion of his game calling and defense being so strong um that it drastically affects some of these poor pitchers on the red sox um i think that's way overblown so yeah and um, jake we, we've talked about this before but i i think that i think we have a much better chance of seeing swihart's defense approach Vasquez's than we do Vasquez's bat approaching Swihart's. And that might be hard to fathom because we haven't seen Swihart be a dominant offensive force at the major league level, whereas we have seen Vasquez be a dominant defender. But I think there's a much better chance that Swihart ends up with a five glove than there is that Vasquez ends up a five hitter. Right. You're absolutely right. And you also have to factor in the age of these two guys, too. I mean, Christian Vasquez is 25, uh, about to be 26 in, in August. Um, defense is the thing that peaks before any other skill in baseball. So I think that you could argue that Christian Vasquez's defense uh, may continue to get worse as Blake Swihart gets better and his offense gets significantly better as well. So I mean, Christian Vasquez could be a really interesting piece to add to uh, Jose Fernandez-type deal as well. That's something that they could be looking for. So um, certainly something that they wouldn't be able to do just this minute because they don't have anybody else, but he could be a pretty valuable chip down the road as well. 
Yeah, for the Marlins specifically, they have J- they have JT Realmuto, who's been who's been pretty good and he's pretty young himself. Yeah, uh, but uh, your point is definitely well taken. Yep. Um, so let's talk about Rusni Castillo a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, he just recently got the call up. Um, played once, was swiftly sent back down, passed through waivers. Nobody was interested in him, and he now joins Alan Craig on the proverbial Hooli rooftop. Um, so he is banished. Um, but you know, I wanted to get your thoughts on him. Where where does he factor in, if at all, going into the future? And I got to be honest, I've been doing this podcast now for going on three months at this point. We're approaching the three-month mark. And I, the other day, completely forgot that Alan Craig was on the Red Sox roster, like, at <laughs> all. And I looked up his stats, and I was like, oh, he's actually doing okay at AAA right now, but he was out for a long time with uh, an injury concern. But, I mean, I guess let's open it up to both of these guys. Are they ever, either of these guys, going to see any time with the Red Sox? No. No. Um, you know, Castillo needs uh, – I don't know what he needs. I mean, he I, he's too young to just be done. I think Craig is just done. I don't think Craig ever is in major, major leaguer again, or at least not for any meaningful period of time. Uh, Castillo, there is still a glimmer of hope, but nobody needs a change of scenery as, as much as he does. You know, he needs to go to a bad team where he can play every day and get the at-bats, or he needs to reestablish some value in AAA first and then be, you know, included as a throw-in in some other deal later. Uh, you know, maybe he's a third piece just as a spare part in an Oakland trade or something later. Because uh, he can play defense, and, that, and there are big stadiums where he could be someone's, you know, fourth or fifth outfielder. Uh, but I don't think he ever has a future with the Red Sox, especially, you know, when the Red Sox went out and signed Chris Young, they were just, that was them screaming, we have no faith in Rusny Castillo, because that should have been Castillo's role on this team. Uh, and now Young has played his butt off, and the team is deep in outfielders. There's there's just no need to uh, to let him anywhere near the roster. Now, how does a catastrophic failure like this take place with the Red Sox scouting? I mean, obviously Ben Charrington and his guys did their due diligence on him. How is there such a gap in what you project from a guy like Rusni Castillo and what we end up with on the field? Yeah, I mean it's uh, you know he's it's a it's an atraditional way of scouting because he came from uh, the Cuban National Series. He didn't you know, he wasn't scouted stateside, so that adds uh, some layers of complexity. And he was older than people. I think everyone knew how old he was, but I don't know if his age was really like properly baked into all the evaluations. Uh, you know, he was already 26 when he signed with the Red Sox. He's about to turn 29. Uh, a lot of the development that I think we were banking on, you know, that's, that traditionally happens in your early 20s. Uh, and I don't think we all made the, the mental calibrations necessary. Um, and really for him, it's just hit tool, right? I mean, he's as good defensively as advertised. We've seen him have a little bit of raw power. He's not a very good base dealer, but he is fast when he's underway. So it's the tools that are there, but, you know, the hit tool isn't and the approach isn't and that's unfortunately really the prerequisite to letting the other tools get on the field yeah uh, undoubtedly the most important tool of all when assessing a player is the hit tool uh, when when you're looking at an offensive guy so a shame they missed on that but you can you can understand it when you put it in that context still unforgivable but um, you know something well, something that can happen and it, and it wasn't forgiven I mean Ben Sherrington lost his job right so in you know the, the lackey trade the Castillo signing probably partially the Sandoval signing, 
I mean, these things weren't forgiven. They they cost a general manager who had won a World Series the year before, or two years before, uh, and they cost him a job. Yep, he paid the iron price for it. So <laughs> Yes, he did. Um, taking Castillo's place is a really intriguing guy. Uh, Ryan Lamar, um, he's an outfielder. He's 27 years old. He's been absolutely killing it at AAA. Uh, he was a Reds prospect at first, but so far at AAA this year for the Paw Sox, playing pretty much every day. Six home runs, 11 stolen bases, while slashing 313, 383, 475. Been tremendously productive there. Uh, I think he's a great addition to the Red Sox bench here, and I think he can be uh, a better bench bat than they've had for most of the season. What are your thoughts on him? Um, I don't think I'm quite as optimistic. Uh, you know, Certainly a, a worthwhile minor league signing for the Red Sox, but really no... No history of producing in the upper minors the way he has this year. You know, like you said, he's a 27. Uh, yeah, he'll be 27 all season. Uh, it would be. I'm rooting for him. It's a great story. You know, you love to see guys like this get a shot in the majors. Guys who toil away in the upper minors for years and years. But I'm not banking on him for any sort of production. And I, I think and sort of hope that when Brock Holt uh, comes off a disabled list, Lamar will, will go back down. Yeah, you know, the thing that I like about Lamar, though, is the fact that he can slide in at left, center, and right field and play every one of those positions admirably. Mm -hmm. And I do just love the steady progress that we've seen for him through the minor leagues. Obviously, he's very old to be considered a prospect now at 27. Um, But he's gotten better every year, which is something that I really like to see cut that strikeout rate down. Uh, could be intriguing. You're you're likely right. He's probably not going to make a huge impact, but still a good guy to have there and a nice low key signing that actually has worked out uh, quite a bit for the Red Sox. So um, Brock Holt, though, as you mentioned, is beginning a rehab stint. Uh, should rejoin the club within a week or so here. Um, but I I didn't realize this, but he was quietly out for more than a month here uh, since about May 18th, I believe it was, and. Uh, that concussion was still giving him symptoms up until last week. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's sad that we have to experience it this way. It makes me happy that MLB is taking concussions this seriously now. You know, there's a separate DL protocol for it. Uh, clearly, they're keeping him out because of it. So, hope he gets well soon and hope it uh, he moves past it because, you know, Marco Hernandez has been very good. Chris Young has been good. But he uh, he gives the entire team a lot more flexibility when he's back. Yeah, I think so, too. He, he certainly is one of the best bench bats uh, in the major leagues in our lone 2015 All-Star as well, so don't forget that. Absolutely. Um, I want to touch on the upcoming schedule for the Red Sox for this next week real quick. We're not going to go through all of these matchups, but there's a few intriguing matchups that I think are worth spending a few minutes on. I'll go through the list here. Uh, first, we have a four-game set against the Chicago White Sox. The first one of those is underway uh, as we speak right now, so that'll be in the books as you listen to this tomorrow. Um, and then we've got a three-game set at Texas. Matchups are as follows. We've got tonight Wright versus Miguel Gonzalez. Um, tomorrow, or as you listen to this, Buckholtz versus Sale. Then Eddie versus Quintana. Um, and then finally, Porcello versus Shields. The Texas series is where it gets really intriguing. Uh, we've got Price versus Hamels on a Friday night. Wright versus Nick Martinez, and then Buckholtz versus Martin Perez. Um, Those last two matchups, or the first two matchups in Texas, are the ones that really interest me there. Uh, What do you think about those? 
Uh, yeah, Hamill's price obviously is a crapshoot. That's uh, two excellent pitchers, so we'll just that'll be fun to watch. That's uh, appointment television. I mean, Wright should have a huge edge over Nick Martinez. Nick Martinez is is not good, so uh, always always up for question when you have a knuckleballer. But that that is on paper definitely a Red Sox win. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Nick has been good in stints at times, and he's been one of these guys that people pick up as as fantasy flyers now and again and then get burned by. Um, so he's the type of guy that's capable of, of a good outing, but I think that by and large the Red Sox should have an advantage in a significant amount of these matchups, with the obvious exceptions being um, Buckholtz versus Sale yeah. uh, and Eddie versus Quintana. I think those are uh, certainly ones where the Red Sox are just going to be hoping and praying that their bats uh, have a huge impact in those contests. Yeah, uh, hopefully they, they pull it out tonight. It's tied right now in the eighth. And, uh, you know, Porcello versus Shields, then it flips, and the Red Sox certainly have the advantage there. Right. Uh, but could be could be a rough middle of the series against the White Sox with Salem Quintana. Yeah, it'll be interesting, too, to see them go against the Texas club that's been just about as hot as any in baseball mm-hmm. um, over the last month or so. Um, Texas, though, they don't really scare me. When I look at their rotation... I see a lot of holes uh, behind Cole Hamels. And when I look at their lineup, uh, well, it's really good and it's a really long lineup. I think that there's so many players there that are uh, injury prone or past their prime. And um, I'm not sure that I view them in the same light as I view the Red Sox and even the competition in the AL East with Baltimore and Toronto. I'm not sure I think they're as good. Um, yeah, I could... If you want to say they're like a half tier below, I could go with you. I, I do think they're a pretty talented and pretty uh, pretty deep roster. I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the sort of the depth of their lineup. Uh, a good defensive team, a team that can run out a pretty meaningful, you know, at least one through seven, if not one through nine. The back of the rotation needs a lot of work, but Hamels is very good. You know, if you catch Martin Perez on a good night, he can be pretty tough. Darvish should come back at some point this season, so... Uh, I think they're the best team in the West. I mean, I, I would expect the I would expect them to be the representative in that division. Although the Mariners are pretty decent. Yeah, the Mariners aren't bad. Um, they've got some holes, but yeah, they're a pretty decent team. But uh, Colby Lewis for them has been pitching really well for for Texas as well. That's mm-hmm. been a bit of a surprise. He he had that almost no no the other day. Yeah, that's right. I, I I skipped over him, but he's having a, a very nice bounce back season. Yeah, interesting when guys like that who you really don't expect anything from come back, but um, he has. So um, I want to jump down to the farm a little bit because we haven't gone into much depth uh, into prospects over the last couple of weeks. So I wanted to mention the biggest uh, thing that's happening down at Double A is the promotion of Yuan Mankata, who's finally uh, joining them. Um, I believe he takes the place of Wendell Rio at uh, second base, uh, and I believe Rio is hitting like 186 or something terrible yeah. like that on the season. So mercifully, they just push him out of the way. Um, he ends high A with the slash line of 307, 427, 496, with uh, just four home runs but 36 steals in 25 doubles over 61 games. Um, what I want to ask you, Brian, or, uh, Ben, is... Um, do you think that he has a smooth transition to double A? Um, you know, I it wouldn't surprise me either way. Uh, he was striking out, not not a horrendous amount, but he was striking out a good amount in high A. 
And I do think that until you get to AAA in the majors, I, I've always thought that the gap between high A and double A is is the biggest one to make in the in the minor leagues. Um, you know, luckily it won't be cold for him, so he doesn't really. Even though it's Portland, you know, it's the middle of the summer, so he won't have to face an adjustment that way. Um, it wouldn't wouldn't shock me either way. You know, historically he struggled a little bit at first, and then and then picked it up. So you know, if his first three or four weeks aren't so hot, but then he you know really turns it on in July or August. That wouldn't surprise me in the least. Uh, I think the most important thing is he's not so bad that we can't see him potentially contributing at some point in 2017 because right now that is sort of still his timeline is to be perhaps a September call-up next year, maybe be up even sooner if he really forces the issue. So I'll certainly be rooting for him because uh, I would I would like to see him at some point next year, and I, I would also like the Red Sox to start getting him some experience at third base. Uh, I think that is the most natural spot uh, that he makes sense for the Red Sox, and now that he's in the upper minors, you do start needing to worry about fit a little bit. So I know he could go to the outfield, but given the organizational depth there, I would like to at least see if he's capable of manning the hot corner first. Yeah, I agree with you totally in terms of position, and he should start playing there. He probably, I'd like to see him start there probably in August or something when he right. adjusts a little bit more. Um, the thing that I've been most impressed by... Uh, with Mankata has been his uh, on-base ability. I just didn't think that he would have this much patience already uh, in his career, especially given the amount of time that he took off from baseball uh, as well. So that's that's been my biggest surprise. I want to know from you, what, what's been your biggest surprise with him? Uh, I didn't know the speed was quite this good. I knew it was good, and I know you can also get in trouble looking at, at minor league stolen base totals, uh, but it's... Pretty pretty impressive that he. Uh, <laughs> let me do some quick math here. He is a combined 85 uh, and 11 in steals and cost deals over his professional career. Yeah, that's so, tremendous. Uh, that's that's <laughs> that'll do. Yeah, and you know what? This wouldn't be the first uh, third baseman that the Red Sox had that didn't hit for a ton of power traditionally, but succeeded with a. Uh, Strong average and strong on-base skills. There was a guy who recently got his number retired that had uh, yeah. a similar profile. So I uh, I firmly believe the power will come from Moncada, though. He's built like a strong safety. Uh, I think uh, the ball will start carrying once he's a little older. Yeah, the dude's jacked up. That's That, that cannot be debated. Um, one guy who is starting to succeed at AA, though, is uh, his... Uh, Former uh, battery mate down there, uh, Ben Intendi, uh, who continues to figure out double A. Um, he's pulled his line up to 254, uh, 298, 412 with three home runs and a 350 batting average over the last 10 days uh, down at, or up at Portland, I should say. Um, he seems to have figured out something that's working. Yeah, obviously, you know, need to. He's made an adjustment now. I'm sure teams will make an adjustment back, and it'll it'll be back on him pretty soon. Uh, but just you know, slow and steady is good. I mean, not slow and steady. He's already in Double A, but this is nothing to worry about. I do think it hopefully puts an end to the thoughts that he'll be a contributor this year because I never thought that was particularly reasonable. Uh, but so far, so good. You know, hopefully he ends the season on a high note in Double A, can start next year in Triple A, and we can. Talk about, you know, then viewing him as someone who might be ready to contribute halfway through next year. So no chance for a September call-up this year for you? I don't I don't really see it. Uh, the Red Sox have a deep outfield. You know, he's I'm glad he's had a nice week or two, but he's not tearing the cover off the ball in double-A yet. Uh, you know, he, he is not even yet at a full year of being in the minor leagues. So there's really no 
no reason to super rush him. Uh, I would rather him get the reps in the minors and be ready for a 2017-2018 impact. Yeah, and if you really, really need a bat, I would probably prefer the Red Sox to pay for one, even a less expensive option than than to rush this guy. So, um, agreed. Um, Rafael Devers, though, I want to talk about him because he continues to uh, swing a hot bat at high A. He's been hitting three fifty seven over the last 10 days, which is um, just tremendous to see for a guy who was batting in the low 100s not too long ago. Uh, Really just couldn't do anything with the ball. He's got his average up to 233 uh, with a little bit of power. Um, I mean, how long is it going to be until he cracks the code here and just lights it up? Because we all know he's got that potential. He's got that Miguel Sano-esque uh, ability to go uh, hotter than the sun and colder than ice. Right, yeah, he's a very streaky player. Uh, what for me is the most promising sign is that his walk rate has stayed the same from what it was in low A, but his walk rate, I mean, the strikeout rate has stayed the same but his walk rate has almost doubled, uh, which is a phenomenal sign from a 19-year-old in high A. So, you know, even more than the average or the streakiness, I'm looking at the approach, and uh, I'm very happy with it. I think that Red Sox fans um, are underrating Rafael Devers right now. I think that he has gotten um, a little bit more criticism than he probably should, and, um, you know, Keith Law is a pretty smart guy. And he has uh, pretty high hopes for Rafael Devers. I don't know if you uh, remember, but uh, Keith Law was the only one that actually hit on a guy named Kevin Newman as well, who's tearing it up in Double A. So he usually goes away from the pack on one or two guys, and this is a guy that he he has liked more than anybody else. Um, so I mean, how good is Devers right now? I mean, this this guy's a special talent. Yeah, he is a special talent. I mean, I think you know Ben Intendi just stole the show to such a degree early in the season that. All the attention has been on him and Moncada, and I, I do believe Moncada is the better prospect, uh, but I certainly think there's an argument for Devers to be to be second. Yeah, the the bat here, we could probably see 30 home run power at his peak. Easy, right? Uh, I don't know if I would say easy, uh, but yes, I, I think that's a, a reasonable ceiling for him. Yeah, dude's good. Um, Anderson Espinosa, um, I believe he's still 18 at this point. Uh, continues his up and down adjustments at Greenville. Uh, last time out, six earned runs uh, against not so great, but you know the one before that was zero earned runs. I think we're going to get this trick or treat a little bit from him. Uh, no concerns for me. How about you? No, not at all. He's a baby uh, facing advanced competition. You know the strikeouts are still there. Um, the walk rate's down a little bit from last year, so uh, I'm I'm not worried at all. I think yeah. he's uh, he's doing just fine. Well, speaking of pitchers, um, I wanted to check in with you on Jason Groom, who has yet to sign for the Red Sox. Um, Signs are looking towards him signing soon-ish because they seem to have found the money to make it palatable for him. Um, They're at a little over $4 million that they can give him at this point. Do you think Groom signs? And if he does, where would you have him in the system? Um. I am honestly not sure if, if so weirdly it's actually pronounced Grom, which which Grom. threw me yeah. for a loop. It shouldn't be. It's wrong. He's wrong <laughs> in how he pronounces his name. Uh, but nonetheless, I I'm not I'm a little worried about him signing. Uh, because I think, you know, if anyone does have a chance to go much higher next year, uh, it, it is it is Grom. I mean he if he goes back and he succeeds, he could be a top three pick next year. So 
I'm not super, super confident we're going to see him sign. Uh, if he does, I would probably rank him fourth. Uh, I would probably have him just slightly above Espinoza and behind the big three bats. So I thought about that, um, and I have I have him fifth if he does sign behind yeah, Espinosa. Totally reasonable. I just think that what Espinosa is doing against a ball competition right now is just so much more impressive than what we've seen from Grom. Um, I know that Keith Law and others have put that uh, the the notion of him having a 70 curveball already. Uh, with the potential for an 80 fastball on him, and I believe the uh, the word was that uh, outside of Lucas Giolito and uh, Dylan Bundy, he has never seen a prep with as good a curveball. Uh, all those things aside, Espinosa is just doing it against super high quality competition, so young. So that that's what taps it for me in his favor. But I could definitely see Grom being the better player long term. I, I think they're in the same tier, right? I think yeah. it's clearly the big three, a little bit of separation, and then it would be Grom and Anderson, and uh, whatever whatever order you want to rank those two in makes total sense to me. It would be pretty nice to have both, though, wouldn't it? It would be uh, an embarrassment of riches, I think. <laughs> That's right, and, you know, Michael Kopech only adds to that. Uh, he had his first start recently, scoreless outing at Lowell. Uh, you know, short season, Lowell, but... Nonetheless, uh, still showed really no rust from his uh, little little period of time off for being a knucklehead. So hopefully he straightens that out as well. He's a guy who could move pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean he was he was a consensus top 100 prospect heading into the season. You know he was in the 90s or the low 80s or high 80s on a lot of lists, not on all of them, but that that type of player uh, just needs to stay on the field, man. He can't, he can't go up those rankings and he can't, he can't impress anyone if he's being too stupid to stay on the field. So, you know, hopefully it, it's hard not to look at two incidents back to back like that as a pattern. Yeah. Hopefully they truly are just both isolated incidents and he gets his acts together. Uh, you know, we've certainly seen it done before. I mean, Clay Buckles had a not great reputation, uh, when he was a prospect. I don't know if you remember he's stole all those laptops in Texas. Or yeah, I, I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. Say what you want about Clay Buckles' career, but he hasn't ever caused an ounce of trouble. Uh, so, you know, these guys are young. There's there's certainly time to turn it around, and they're, to a certain extent it's kids being kids. But, uh, you know, two uh, two in a row already, he's, he's all out of excuses. Yeah, he's a guy who I think has future closure written all over him if he can actually get his act together. So I'd like to, like to see that happen. Um Michael Chavis, he's finally back uh, from an injury that he had. Uh, I believe he broke something. I can't remember what it was exactly. Um, but uh, he, he came back on June 7th after being out since April 23rd. Uh, he's batting 278 over the last 10 days with a home run. Um, he seemed to show not a lot of rust since he came back. And uh, before that, he was absolutely tearing the cover off the ball and making some pretty big strides for a guy that really – didn't have a very good season last year, so I'm going to be watching him pretty closely over the next few months to see how he does. Yeah, this is a huge year for Chavez. I mean, he's about to turn 21, and he's still in Greenville. So if he uh, if he doesn't start producing soon, I, I think he's going to his prospect status is going to take a pretty big hit. Um, so hopefully that doesn't happen, and hopefully he'll uh, be replacing some of the talent that Salem just lost within a few months. And hopefully he'll be Oakland's problem, and Rich Hill will be eating up <laughs> quality innings for us. I could, I could be fine with that. <laughs> Absolutely. 
So last guy I want to cover off on before we uh, close out the show is uh, Matt Collins' boy, Mauricio Dubon. Uh, just recently named to the Carolina League All-Star team. I wanted to get your take on what you think his future role is with the Boston Red Sox. Not a lot of power, a little bit of stolen base potential here. We looking at a util position type guy? I think so. Or you know, I've I've actually been pretty impressed with Marco Hernandez with the big league club. So if that's if that's Hernandez's new job, Dubon could certainly be an attractive trade chip because uh, I do think he has the potential to be a second division starter at shortstop. But uh, if he is a Red Sox, yes, I think he's just a very good utility player. Uh, you know, someone the Red Sox can use maybe as a late inning defensive replacement for you know, at, well, I guess we're we're a few years away from needing to worry about that with Pedroia. But uh, you know, if he is someone who can really shine at second and third, he could be used that way. Uh, he could be a pinch runner. He's pretty fast. So if he does make it to the big league squad with Boston, I would uh, consider him an an upper class utility infielder. Yeah, he's a guy that does a lot of things really well and maybe doesn't get the credit he deserves because he's in such a star-studded system. But I think it'd be pretty fair to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that he would be a top-five prospect in more than half of the team's systems out there. Uh, I don't I don't know. I, I think it's just like a little difficult for me to answer in the abstract. I, I think it's fair to say that he should be in consideration for top 100 prospect right now. It's probably an easier way for me to phrase it. Yeah, I think that's a good way to phrase it. So with that, we've covered off on a lot of topics um, so far tonight. Um, for those of you who have enjoyed the show, uh, you can check us out and subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on Stitcher. Um, feel free to rate and review us on iTunes. We always appreciate that as well. Uh, ben, where can they find you on Twitter if they want to give you a follow? Just uh, at Ben Carsley. It's not, not very complicated. Yep, and I'm at DevJake. This week I actually remembered my Twitter handle to give it to you. So uh, for everybody out there, thanks for listening to us, um, and uh, we'll be with you next time. So for Ben Parsley, this is Jake Devereaux saying thanks for listening.